Clint, and thank you for, for leading us uh, through worship th- this morning. Uh, Clint, we'll usually Clint on, on some of the third Sundays when we do our heifering, heifer offering. And just remind you, you know, our offering plate is in the back. There will not be a formal offering today. The offering plate's there as well as the ark uh, is back there for the heifer offering. And so you, most of you here know the drill by now. That's what we've been doing for, for quite a few weeks. And today we're going to continue our series uh, through the Gospel of John because just two more weeks is Easter. And uh, we'll be bringing that to a close on Easter Sunday. But I do want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open to John chapter 14. And what a, uh, a loaded or a challenging text to just throw out there uh, from the words of Christ. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Okay, that's all I have today. We'll see you guys later. Good, good luck applying that immediately, right? <laughs> okay, I've told you. It's in the Bible. I'm never going to be troubled anymore. There's never going to be anything ever that's ever going to cause me any stress. I read the words in Scripture. I'm good to go. It's a lot more complicated than that, isn't it? Do not let your hearts be troubled. We're going to explore that text today in, in John chapter 14. I'm going to read. I do want to read through the whole passage in just a moment, but... This does, uh, this sort of reminds me of a friend that I have, kind of was having a conversation with him, kind of like he was just sitting right there on the bench, and I said, I was just telling him about some, some tough things that, that were really bothering me. He says, you know what, man, I don't worry about anything anymore. I don't worry about anything at all. I was like, are you kidding me? You don't worry about anything? What, what happened? He said, well, I'm this guy that I pay money to. He, I pay him money, and he worries about all my problems for me. I was like, what? How much do you pay this guy? I see him every week. I pay him $2,000 a session. Are you kidding me? $2,000 a session? How in the world can you afford that? He's like, again, that's not my problem. I don't have to worry about that anymore. He worries about that for me. Wouldn't wouldn't it be great if it was just that easy? (laughs) All of a sudden, it doesn't matter what happens. We don't worry anymore. And In some ways, it's like it's presented that way for us in Scripture. And so... We're going to read through this text, and I want you to hear, we're going to put this text in its context this morning. We're also going to put this text in our modern day application. But I want you to, we're going to go all the way to verse 14, and then I'm just going to go back and teach through, do not let your hearts be troubled. But I want you to read through this whole story and see if you can, we're going to read through this whole story and see if you can put together exactly what Jesus is communicating to all of us today. So John 14, I'll read verse 1 again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father that, and, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not say on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that, that cross generations, your word can speak to us today on a Sunday morning, March 21st, 2021. Today, we have the word of God that was shared to the disciples just before Gethsemane, just before your crucifixion, just before your resurrection. And now we have to find ourselves in the middle of this story. When you say things like, do not let your hearts be troubled. And we hear the voice of the living God speaking this to us this morning. And we walk out of this service this morning empowered by knowing that our God is with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, what a word for many of you here in our church. Do not let your hearts be troubled. We need to unpack this a little bit because I know, I mean, all, all across this church, there's many of you that are going through very different things. And, and, and it applies immediately to your context in, in one way, shape, or form. And I think that uh, I want to just go th- three things through this, this text here. And the first one is we're going to do a little bit of theology, the biblical exegesis of what, what those words meant, what Jesus was really trying to communicate to the disciples that were sitting there when he tells them do not let your hearts be troubled there's two things that's the first one there there's two things that he was um communicating pull that other thing down there too i think i need one more click there uh joel one more click there and that's just this is the in context this is the in context part of what jesus was saying now what's happening here is that, that the disciples are still having a hard time figuring this out But this is the last time that he is going to talk to them. This is the last time he's going to have a moment with them. And we've been building with different pieces in this text. We talked about the vine last week, remaining in the vine. The week before we talked about feet washing, how Jesus washed their feet. All of this in the book of John is taking place at the same meal. So this is all still happening. It's just like, you know, this all happened just over about an hour or so. And I just keep coming back week after week. I'm still talking about the same story, all the different things that Jesus was saying to them at this time. So they're not quite figuring this thing out yet. So part of what Jesus is saying here is prophetic. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You don't know what it is you're about to go through. You don't know what it is that it's about to happen to me. You don't know even what's going to happen to you eventually as you continue to carry my name. So that's piece of the context. But there's something else going on here, too that I hope you've noticed throughout the rest of the text. See, this is a hard theological truth that Jesus is trying to get the disciples to to accept. If you were a Jew, and most all the disciples were, I believe all the disciples were to be be accurate, uh, unless unless some of the others that that followed along weren't all Jews, but for the most part they were. 
Now, when somebody is saying you believed in God for so long, you believed in Yahweh, you believed in Jehovah for so long, Jesus is now telling them, believe also in me. Okay? He's also saying now I, he is confirming in many ways that he is the Messiah that was to come. Now, we all get this now as Christians. We all get this now as Christians that Jesus was the Messiah. and We believe that. But I want you to recognize how hard of a pill this may have been for them to swallow. It wouldn't have been as hard in that context knowing that Jesus was around and they're expecting him to go become king and set up his kingdom. They, uh, they were excited about that. But now when Jesus is gone, when they watch him crucified, they're going to begin to have their hearts are going to be troubled. He told us to believe in him as we believed in the Father, and he's not here anymore. He's not the Messiah that we thought he was going to be. This is a hard truth that Jesus is explaining to them, and he goes and explains it throughout the rest of what we just read in John 14. Now, you may say, and this isn't the main part of the message today, but I just want you to, to recognize how you've already applied this theology, okay? How many of you know who, how many of you know who Muhammad is? Who's Muhammad? If you know who Muhammad is, raise your hand. Okay, Muhammad's kind of key to the Muslim faith, okay? How come none of you have accepted Muhammad or, or obeyed his teachings, okay? Because you didn't believe Muhammad was the one that was to come, okay? It was the Messiah. What if I named a guy named Joseph Smith? Anybody know who Joseph Smith is? Not your buddy that you have, because I know there's a lot of Joe Smiths. But, but anybody, uh, but anybody know who Joseph Smith is? Who is he? Yes, he's the last Mormon prophet that that says that he came to to fulfill and affirm the true doctrines of Christ. Okay, and he is kind of key and foundational to the Mormon faith. But many of you aren't really following Joseph Smith, are you? You're not really obeying any of his truths. I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Charles Russell. Anybody know who Charles Russell is? Charles Russell's the name of the guy who started the Jehovah's Witnesses, and he actually went into this and said, I'm the, I'm the one that's figured out how to really interpret the Bible, okay? Nobody else has got this. Y'all just need to listen to me, because I'm going to tell you how to interpret the Bible. Now, it's changed. Watchtower has changed and, and evolved, and they've got better language that they use, but really, that's, that's how it began. I'm the guy that knows how to interpret Scripture. Now, these guys don't really mean that much to you, do they? And this is kind of the point that the disciples were at with Jesus when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, but believe as you believed in God, believe also in me. So there's a theological thing that's happening here. But now I want us to see how we can take this. What does this mean, though, in our modern context? Because, by the way, these things were going to shake the disciples upside down the rest of their life. When Jesus is crucified and resurrected, this is going to mess with their heads. It's going to mess with their theology. It's going to mess with everything that they thought they knew and they understood about who the Messiah was and everything that they saw Jesus to do. It's going to come into question. <coughs> and they're going to remember little things that Jesus said, like, do not let your hearts be troubled. I knew this was going to happen to you. What a comforting thought to have. In any conflict that you get into the rest of your life, any challenge you get into the rest of your life, do not let your hearts be troubled. I knew this was going to happen. 
I'm aware of what's happening in your life. I'm aware of what's happening yesterday, and I even know a bit about what's going to be happening tomorrow. If you'll let, those can be some of the most comforting thoughts that you can possibly have. Because now, let's take a look at this text in our modern-day application when he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, we spent some time talking about some of these things, but this immediately brings to mind the ideas of anxiety. And anxiety, by definition, or excuse me, the definition in in, in the Greek for this word troubled is, do not let your heart cause you great inner perplexity or emotion. Well, that's interesting because anxiety, by definition, is a feeling of worry, a feeling of nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And you've heard me share before that that anxiety is simply being worried, being worried, nervous, or unease about the things that you cannot control or the things that you cannot control right now. That's really what anxiety is. I've just given you an Oxford definition. I've given you a Brody definition. And then I've given you a definition of the Greek word that we get troubled from uh, that is basically what's being interpreted there. So all of these things is partly of what Jesus is referring to and is even relevant to the disciples. And do not be concerned, so concerned and so consumed with the things that you can't control or the things that you can't control right now. Now, Whenever we talk about anxiety, especially when I've been talking about it recently, I often give these two deceptions. By the way, is anybody here anxious? It's okay. Raise your hand. Are you anxious? Are you anxious? Okay, some people get more anxious if I stick a microphone in front of them, okay? But are you anxious this morning? We, uh, no matter what, we've all got some level of anxiety, by the way. And, and then if I were to even ask you, could you scale your anxiety before? Are you a, four out of seven or a five out of seven or a six out of seven. Um, I wonder what you would say today. And having at least a one is normal. We do need some level of anxiety. That just means that we're, we have some sense of preparation. We have some sense of thinking about things in the future that we need to do what we need to do to prepare for. And so that's normal. But many people are often consumed with their anxiety, consumed with all the things they don't know and all the things that they can't control. And to those, I want to tell you, there are two major deceptions, massive deceptions when it comes to anxiety. Number one, if anxiety is being concerned with all the things that we can't control, the number one deception about anxiety is that you're not in control. Because you are. I've given you the number before. It's over 30,000, over 30,000 conscious decisions that you make every day. You didn't even realize you made them. By statistics, you, you, maybe you haven't even made 15,000 of them yet, but you've made maybe 10, 12,000 decisions already this morning. Okay, Whether you're going to pick your nose in church while I was talking, that was a decision. You made a decision not to. You felt the itch. You decided, eh, probably inappropriate. I won't do it in front of everybody. 30,000 decisions that you make every day, you are in control. You're in a lot more control of your life then you give yourself credit for. You're in control of those things. You're also in control of how you respond, how you let your feelings respond. You're in even more control about, uh, about the words that come out of your mouth, how you say when you feel some of these things. 
And by the way, feelings aren't bad or good. They just are, okay? They, they happen to us. But you are in a lot of control over your tongue and what you choose to say and how, even more importantly, how you choose to say it, the tone in which you say it. You're in control over how you communicate with other people. You're in control of how you look at your day and the perspective that you have about what is going on in your life this morning. You are in control. So look at that person next to you and go ahead and say it. You're in control. You got this. One of the biggest deceptions of anxiety, that you're not in control. All these things are happening to you and it's all out of my hands. I can't do anything about it. Yes, you are. You're in a lot more control than you give yourself credit for. But then there's the second deception. And the second deception is on the other end of the spectrum. The second, end of the, second, uh, the second deception on the other end of the spectrum is that you somehow, you believed that you would ever be in complete control. That you believed that you would ever be in complete control of everything that happens in your life. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. But the beautiful thing is oftentimes those things that we really worry about, most of them that we could count them on, on two hands. They're really not that many compared to all the things that we are in control of. But this is where the beautiful part comes in when we get to people of faith. Because for those that don't have a, a belief in the living God and belief in Christ as, as, the, as the Son of God and the Messiah, I don't know what they do with all those uncertainties. But as a men or women of God, you get to take a look at a text like this when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You know what he says next? After believing me and believing God, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I've got some things prepared for you. By the way, I'm expecting you. I'm going to see, we're, we're going to be united again someday. I got all this figured out if you'll just trust me in these moments. I know what's going to happen to you next, but if I would tell you right now, it would blow your mind. And you'd, you'd go screaming out of church, and I can't believe God would do this to me. You can't know everything that's going to happen next in your life. There's some good things, there's some challenging things, but enjoy the mystery. And more, more importantly, he wants to say to us, enjoy the relationship. So Jesus says, after he says, do not let your hearts do not let your hearts be troubled. What's the resolve to that? To all the anxiety that we go through, his answer is really simple. Is like I just said, believe in me. I got to tell you, if you read that text and you're having a bad day, that's like, what? Come on, give me something more than this. <laughs> I'm having a bad day. My heart is troubled and just says, believe in me. I mean, that sounds like Christianese, doesn't it? That sounds like the stuff we tell people, the language that we know how to speak when we're in church that, that we, we've learned after coming to church for a long time. Like when somebody tells you all about their problems and some strange, crazy story that you've never heard before, you know what to say to, to them when you're done with that conversation, don't you? Well, I'll pray for you. That's Christianese, all right? That's Christianese. We learn how to speak those kind of things, don't we? <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is, okay? Whatever it is they tell us, okay? I tell people Christianese. People ask about our church. As I tell them our church is anywhere between about anywhere two, 300 people. That's accurate. You're laughing at me. That's accurate. The number two and the number 300. That's, that's our church in between the number two and the number 300. Christianese, you learn how to speak it, right? You, you get really, really good at it. And some of you are even good at this one too. And you'll catch yourself and correct yourself. You'll say something like, did you hear about, I mean, I'm sorry, please pray for, 
like, you've got a story you're going to tell, and you've got a lot of details about that story, and it's, did you hear about it? Also, oh, wait, i got to put the Christianese in. Well, please pray for them, because, now sit down, i got to tell you some stuff. We speak this stuff sometimes, don't we? Us goofy religious church people. It's okay. That's what you are. It's what I am sometimes. But sometimes it sounds just like Christianese when we're going through something challenging. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And the Bible says, believe in me. But I want you to see, even through the rest of this text, which we won't read, but it would do you well to to spend some time with it, all of the things that Jesus is explaining and how he has been there, what he has done and who he is. Because in this, this language and in this text, Jesus is wanting to take us deeper. And the deeper is the last thing in moving us from creed to change. Moving us from creed to change. Here's what I mean. Verse 14.10 says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus' whole case here in John 14 is that he has been spending some time with them. He has been spending some time with the disciples. They have seen what he, what, what he has done. They have recognized the miracles. They have seen his love. They have sensed the, the authenticity in him. And he goes on to tell him, even in the, the latter verses that we don't read about, he is getting ready to send the Holy Spirit to all of us. He's saying, and now is the time, now are the moments where you're going to have to move beyond your creed and experience personal change. And another way I could put that without having two C's there that match, moving away from creed to relationship. Joe said that this morning about sometimes it can seem like a burden to serve the Lord because we're so consumed with the words of obedience, the things that we're supposed to be obedient to. This is really what Jesus is addressing right here. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to continue this relationship with you. I am going away. You read the latter part of this chapter. He talks about how he's getting ready to send the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life. And now it's not just about obeying a creed. It's about entering into a relationship that is going to change you. About entering into a relationship that is going to bring about change in your life. Now see... So let's take this back to our context. I'm going to, or excuse me, do not let your hearts be troubled. But believe in me. Hey, it's as if the, the living God is saying to us, hey, can we talk? Can we hang out? I mean, I am the all-powerful. I am the all-knowing. I am the all-present. You're really consumed about all this, and I already know about all this. Can we just spend some time together? Because I got a feeling if you hang out with me a little bit, you're not going to see the things the way you do now. Come on. That's what the living God wants to do in our life. He wants to take us from creed to change, from creed to relationship. And I wonder just how many people are in churches all over America, and even in this church, that all their, all their religion, I hate that word, all their religion has ever been is nothing more than a creed. 
a few words that I know I'm supposed to obey, a few things I know I'm not supposed to do and things that I am supposed to do. And it's all that it's ever been, that dry, dull, boring, moat religious stuff. And I'm not going to take away the value of the law because it's important to the whole doctrine of Scripture. But that's not what Christ died on the cross for. He died on the cross for you. To be in a relationship with you, for the veil to be torn and to be engaged with the living God as if he's walking right by your side and scripture takes it even deeper as if he's dwelling within your heart, as if the spirit of God has empowered you. The Lord wants you. He wants you to move away from creed to change. I'm just knowing stuff, knowing words to knowing him. And I wonder, you know, maybe if that's you, maybe if it's, you feel that's more of you than anything else, that, that church and religion has always just been a few things that I know that I should do. I wonder when that's ever going to change for you. And I hope I'm putting it as clear as I possibly can. The living God wants a relationship with you. A relationship that, just as we talked about last week, just as we remain in it, just as it re- remain in it, we get cut, right? He says, if you don't produce fruit, you get cut. But then guess what happens if you do produce fruit? He prunes us. And what do you got to do to prune someone? Cut them. You keep getting cut no matter what happens. It's a beautiful thing about walking with the Lord. He keeps growing in you. He keeps changing in you. I mean, he keeps producing change in you and, and allowing his spirit to transform you just by remaining in this relationship. Do not let your hearts... Be troubled. Lean in to me. Spend some time with me. Let's just bow our heads as we close with these thoughts. Lord, we thank you. We hear your voice today. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I am here. I know you feel like you don't have all this under control, but you were never created to. You know what's a beautiful thing, as the Lord would say to us? I do. I'm in control. You don't, as much as you would like to, you don't get to call all the shots of what's next, how things are going to work out. But I'm the sovereign God who's seated upon the throne, and in so many ways, I do. And guess what? I'm here for you. I'm working things out according for your purposes, for those who choose to do my will. I am working in your midst. Gosh, what a relief. We can experience the omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful God wants to be in a relationship with us. Lord, let's just allow, all across this church, let's just allow that to sink in. I just want you to sense in the midst of your troubles, the midst of your anxiety, the living God saying to you, I am here. I am with you. You are not alone. You are not alone. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that you don't leave us off to figure things out just on our own. There's a lot that we do to grow and with our own intentionality. There's a lot that we are in control of, but Lord, you fill in those gaps. You remind us that you are God and we are not. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for your power. And we thank you, Lord, that you are our Emmanuel.
the God who is present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. I have a benediction for you this morning, but after the benediction, I got one of my goofy old Pentecostal songs, crazy. This kind of song they usually play when we wave banners around and run around the church. We're going to have that song playing. It's called Freedom as we take all these things off, okay? We, as we take off, these, uh, take off the tape and we take off the plastic. By the way, we will still be cleaning. Um, but we, they've been spraying down the pews. They're going to continue to do all of that. Uh, we are just opening up space for, for other people to see. And so next week, we do want you to still keep bringing your mask. That's not changed. We will have the side open so everyone can choose to social distance next Sunday however they would like, okay? All right, for your benediction this morning. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, may you also believe in Christ. And may you experience the transformation of Christ's power in you. God bless you and have a wonderful week. And as you go, feel free to grab some tape. You get the plastic off the seats and we'll find a way to dispose of that, okay?